Good morning. My name's Todd, and I'm the pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. So glad that you have chosen to worship uh, with us here this morning. And uh, maybe it's your first time here. We're uh, glad that you're here too, and maybe you're on vacation probably from Ohio or Canada, and we're glad you're here too. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Samuel. Turn to the book of 1 Samuel. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. The uh, scripture is going to be on the screen this morning. But turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel 20, and then we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9 today. Um, don't worry, we're not going to cover every single verse. We would be here for hours. But anyway, we're just going to take a look at a few of the different verses there in those different chapters. I just wanted you to know about that ahead of time. Why don't we uh, pray and ask for God's blessing on our time together. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to live another day. God, to come into your house and worship you, God. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the life of this church and, God, in the life of this community. Oh, Father, I think there are great days ahead for Hilton Head Island Community Church. I believe, God, there are great days ahead for the kingdom of God here on Hilton Head Island, and I pray for that, Father. Father, I pray that you would just guide our church, guide our people, direct us as we get into this uh, renovation and demolition work that needs to take place over at mile marker nine. God, I, I pray that you would just continue to go before us on the funding, the extra $85,000 that it's going to take. God, you're faithful. I believe you for it. Uh, you've seen fit to guide us this far. You're not going to leave us. And uh, Father, I pray that you would just guide our time together this morning. God, I pray for those who walked in and they're weary. Oh, it's been a rough week. God, they've had disappointment and discouragement. God, I pray that you would just lift them up, as Isaiah says, on wings like eagles. God, I pray that you would encourage those that need to be encouraged. God, I pray that you would challenge those who are in here that need to be challenged. God, challenge all of us, Father, to seek out good friends and to remain faithful and to remain committed. And God, I pray that my words may not be mine. I pray that they're yours this morning. And may you speak to us. May your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I grew up uh, moving around a lot. Um, if I, when I tell you the story of where we moved and that sort of thing, you'd probably figure my dad was in the military. Uh, but uh, I, I was not a military brat. I was a sales brat. So my dad was in sales, and we moved uh, around quite a bit. I was born in um, 1973 in Dunedin, Florida. Stop doing the math, okay? I'm going to be 39 this week. So anyway, fun stuff. Be nice to me this year, okay? It's my last year in my 30s. So anyway, um, I, uh, I was born in Dunedin, Florida, and at the age of about um, six years old, um, my dad moved to Atlanta, and we lived there for a year. That was fun. And then uh, we moved back to Orlando. We moved back to Florida, and um, we moved to Florida. I was about eight years old when we moved to uh, Florida, and uh, we lived in Orlando um, for five years. And it was during the time in Orlando that I remember um, kind of having some friends. It's my first memory of having really close friends. Um, best friends are, are hard to come by, aren't they? I mean, you know, people may live their whole lives and may only have one or two, you know, best friends, BFF, right? For those of you who are under like 21, that's new lingo. That's text lingo for best friends forever. 
At least I think I got that right. But anyway, uh, we may live our whole lives and we may only have a couple friends. We may only have one or two friends and some people may live their whole lives and not have that kind of best friend that, you know, uh, a friend that you're close to. And my first memory of having kind of that best friend was during my time in Orlando in our five years in Orlando from, you know, eight to about 12 or 13 there. And I had two friends in particular. One of them's name was Scott. And uh, I remember Scott because um, he was, he was a, you know, I mean, you're young, so you don't really know that much about anything. But we used to go over to Scott's house, and I spent a lot of time at his house. And I remember Scott's house because his dad was the, the, the dad that, like, loved to pull pranks. So, you know, a bunch of 8, 9, and 10-year-old, you know, were, like, you know, slumber party in, in the, the, you know, Scott's room there, and it's dark out, and it's one of those nights in, in Florida and Orlando where there's thunderstorms and that sort of thing, and his dad would sneak around to the outside and tap on the glass of the bedroom, <laughs> tap, 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 you know, we'd go crazy. That was my friend Scott, I remember Scott, and then I had another friend, uh, his name was Greg, and uh, Greg, I remember Greg because I used to go over to his house, and his parents let him watch just about anything that was on TV. And uh, if you are old like I am, you'll remember this TV show called V. Remember the V, the science, the sci-fi? It was awful. It's a terrible show. But anyway, I watched V at his house because I couldn't watch it at home. That's what I remember about Greg and Scott. Good friends, huh? Anyway, uh, they, were, they were kind of my first memory of kind of forging that friendship that was a little bit more than just an acquaintance. And, um, and then we moved. We moved in Orlando from one house to the other and um, moved schools again. And I kind of lost touch with Scott and, and with Greg. And I became friends with a guy named Ross. But in, in my life, um, we moved as soon as I, I got to be good friends with Ross. And so I kind of lost touch with him. You know what's interesting is a few months ago in our attic, I came across a shoebox. And it had letters probably from girlfriends in high school and grandparents and parents and girlfriends in college and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so this box was there. And I didn't have too many girlfriends in college, by the way, because I met Cynthia. Let me clear that up, okay? <laughs> My freshman year, okay? Uh, high school. I meant high school. Okay. Uh, yeah, t- total crash and burn there. Anyway, Glad it's not the week of Valentine's. Anyway, uh, and, but in this box, get this. If you're under like 18, you'll really appreciate this. Back when we were growing up, there was, there was no cell phones back in the you know, 80s. Um, there, there was no uh, call waiting or caller ID on phones. And do you guys remember this? Our parents were always on the home phone, weren't they? They were always on the home phone, so you could never communicate with your friends. We didn't have text. We certainly didn't have Skype or email or any of that, uh, you know, no, no iChat or whatever. So guess what? We wrote letters to each other, and I, I found these letters that Ross and Greg and Scott and I, I don't think I ever wrote them a letter, but they wrote me letters, and so it was kind of a one-way street there, I guess. But um, that was back in the day when we wrote letters. But then my parents moved, and so we moved to Atlanta when I was about uh, 12 or 13, right there in eighth grade. And uh, I remember... Um, my dad saying, this is it. We're done moving. You know, that's it. We're, we're done moving. And my mom was like, yes, we're done moving. We were like, yeah, thanks, dad. We're done moving. So we moved to Atlanta and I walked in. And I remember walking in the first day in eighth grade and I met this guy named Brian. And Brian um, Glaze is his name. And I remember him, but little did I know when I remember meeting Brian, he's kind of got a big personality, bigger than life kind of guy. Um, Little did I know that that day when I met Brian, that he would become my best lifelong friend. Little did I know that we would become um, such good friends that we would both be groomsmen in each other's weddings. 
Little did I know that um, we would quite often bail each other out uh, of situations with our parents in high school and even into college and that sort of thing. Little did I know that Brian and I would end up sharing a love of golf in our adulthood and we would talk about, you know, all the problems and the struggles and the ups and downs of life out on the golf course. Little did I know that when I, in eighth grade, when I walked in to meet some friends and new people, that I would meet a friend that was really that true, like, lifelong kind of friend. And I talked about him last week. He's the guy that, you know, I called up when I was going through a particularly tough time. And he said, man, I'll be in Hilton Head to help you out in a moment. It's very, very unique to have that kind of friendship, to have the kind of friendship with maybe one or two people that spans, you know, decades and it spans years and it spans a, a lifetime. But sometimes we have the opportunity to forge those friendships. In this series called Faithful, we've taken a look at four distinct uh, relationships and actually some within some others. We've considered Joseph and his brothers in week one, and we talked about how in uh, week one, we talked about how Joseph, his brothers completely betrayed him. Those who loved him the most betrayed him and sold him into slavery. And we talked about how as we forge relationships, if we're faithful in our relationships, that that means that we ought to learn to forgive, which Joseph ended up doing in the Old Testament. We considered in week two the good and the bad relationships that King David had and the fact that he had respect for King Saul, who was his nemesis, who was out to kill him. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But then he had a lack of respect for Bathsheba and for her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And we talked about the pluses and minuses, the good points and bad points about David's relationships there. Last week, we considered Ruth and we considered Naomi, and we talked about how Ruth persevered and had patience with Naomi when she uh, was going through loss and tragedy in her life. And today, we consider the relationship between King David and his best friend, his BFF, Jonathan. And we talk, we'll talk about today what it means to have commitment in our relationships. Now, for some of you today, it might mean finding a Jonathan. For others, it might mean developing a relationship that already exists and developing that into a Jonathan. For some of you today, you'll go, man, I don't have anyone in my life like that. And for you, it'll be asking God to help you find that person who's a Jonathan to you. This series, as we kind of conclude it today, kind of was birthed out of the idea that I believe that our relationships with other people, whether it's husband or wife, whether it's friendships, whether it's uh, acquaintances, family members, other fellow students, coworkers, our relationships with other people really are a reflection of our relationship with God. And Paul says this in the church in, to the church in Rome. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good, love each other with a genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Here's a key principle this morning. It's pretty simple, okay? Here's a key principle this morning. It's being faithful in our relationships means that we should be committed to one another. You're like, man, that's really simple. That's overly simple, Todd. But here's the thing. It's easy to say that, but man, it's difficult to do it, isn't it? It's so much more difficult to actually live this principle out and to live commitment out with one or maybe two lifelong friends. Today, we're going to take a look at David and Jonathan and find out what we can learn about how to do that. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background. And it's going to tie into week one when we or week two when we talked about David and Saul. 
And I want to kind of give you a background and an understanding of, of uh, where David is in his life in the passages we're going to take a look at today. David was a shepherd boy. He was the son of Jesse, and he was a part of the nation of Israel. And he was the, I mentioned a few weeks ago, he was the smallest of, of the, the runt of the litter, uh, so to speak, in his family. He was, the Bible says, of ruddy complexion. Uh, he was a very poor shepherd boy. And uh, so we find him out tending his flocks. And we find the nation of Israel in quite a situation because their arch enemies are the Philistines. And there was one Philistine in particular whose name was Goliath. And a lot of you have heard about Goliath. But the thing about Goliath that's interesting is that Goliath was not as much of a giant as we think of in terms of stature, although he probably was. But he was a giant because he was a, a, just a ferocious warrior. And there was not one man in all of the Israelite army that even wanted to try to go against Goliath except one little guy, a shepherd boy named David. And so we talked a little bit about the story a few weeks ago about how David found a smooth stone. He got a slingshot and he hit that Goliath, that giant, right in the head. He topples down on the ground and he takes his sword, Goliath's sword, and decapitates him. And all of a sudden, David in this story becomes the hero. He becomes the hero. And here's why. In this story, all of the armies of the Philistines and the Israelites are looking on, including King Saul. And King Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David's success. And so he sends someone to find David and to bring him into his court. And there is David with Goliath kind of with him, and, and Goliath is now dead, and he, he's presented before Saul's court, and Saul burns with jealousy. But I want you to take a look, and that's 1 Samuel at the end of 1 Samuel 17, but take a look at what happens right after that in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. Now, this is Jonathan, the son of King Saul. Take a look at what happens. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as much as himself. This is 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return to his father's house. Verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Do you notice that's twice that the scripture has said he loved David as himself? And take a look at verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Okay, now this wasn't a bow like all the girls wore in the 1980s right up here. This was like a sash where the sword was stored. This is Jonathan. I want you to get this. This is the king's son who looks at David and the Bible says that they were one in spirit. Have you ever had that happen where... Maybe it's a business deal or maybe it's a, uh, in a classroom or, or you know, maybe it's uh, in, with a friendship. Maybe it happens at church where you meet with someone and you go, you know, I really connected with that person. You had a kindred spirit. That's what we call it today. That's the kind of thing that happened with David and Jonathan. There was automatically instantaneous a kindred spirit. And I believe that God developed that between them. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see these two things that happen in this part of this passage that are really kind of a contrast of what happens here because God knits them. It's very clear that God knits David and Jonathan together almost immediately. If this were a, a romantic relationship, it might say love at first sight. We always talk about love at first sight. 
David and Jonathan had this connection, like a brotherly connection immediately. And I believe that God was in that. But here's the thing. Friendships may start like that, but they can never develop that way. It can't be left right there with David and Jonathan just being one in spirit. It takes work. And it leads me to the first point this morning. It's this. Genuine commitment requires someone to take the initiative. Genuine commitment requires someone to take the initiative. Usually when friendships are forged like David and Jonathan's, it's not both people coming together immediately and all of a sudden the friendship is brought to fruition all in one moment. That's like the big bang theory of friendships. It doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. There's usually one person in that friendship that takes the initiative. There's the first step. There's that first moment of I am going to do something to begin to start this relationship. And Jonathan, the king's son, doesn't just talk to David about this. He shows him how much he's going to be committed to this relationship that he takes off his royal robe. He's the king's firstborn son, and he puts it on David. And presumably he takes off his tunic and he gives that to David. And presumably he takes off the sword and the sash and and the belt and he gives that to David. And I want you to get this picture that here's this little young shepherd boy, this poor shepherd boy that probably was wearing nothing more than just like uh, some kind of almost rags. And he's standing there in the king's court. And in the king's court, he goes in a matter of moments from standing in like rags, this poor shepherd boy, to in a moment, Jonathan, Jonathan puts on the royalty, the robes, the royal clothing that was his. And he gives it to David and he clothes David in royalty. Get that picture. The son of the king is all of a sudden clothed in royalty. I don't want you to miss this because it'll lead to our next sermon series that starts in a few weeks. That's exactly what God does with us when he sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. He sent Jesus to literally become uh, uh, completely without anything and he put on that royal clothes for us. It's a beautiful picture. This friendship is a picture of what God in Christ did with us. Are you with me on that? Isn't that beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of what God does with us. But Jonathan makes the first move. He's the one that says, uh, yeah, I'm one in spirit with him, but man, this this guy, David, I want to make the first move. I want to forge a friendship. And so he makes the first move in that relationship. How about you? You have someone in your life that maybe God has kind of put a connection point between you and them but someone in that relationship has to make the first move. There's got to be an initiator. Why can't that be you? Why can't you be the one that begins that faithful relationship and begins to forge that relationship? Someone has to. Why not let it be you? Now, David's respect in all of Israel is going nowhere but up in this situation. I mean, he is honored. He has just killed Goliath. You know, Saul now is just enraged because David is, did something that even Saul couldn't do. And now all of a sudden, Saul's son, Jonathan, is forging this great relationship with David. The, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18 there that the people of Israel were chanting out loud, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. 
And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Saul's jealousy grows, and we see Saul pursuing David. There's this one particular instance where David is in Saul's court, and Saul gets so mad that he takes his spear and he throws it at David and he misses, and the spear gets stuck in the side of the wall there. And so David takes off, he flees. Take a look at 1 Samuel 20, 1 through 4. Then David fled from Nioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan. That's the first place he went. He went to Jonathan. He sought out his best friend. And he asks, what have I done? This is David speaking. What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Look at Jonathan's response. He doesn't believe David initially. Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. He doesn't believe David. He doesn't believe that his father, that Jonathan's father, would be after David for his life. Look at verse 3. But David took an oath, and he said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or surely he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. I love how David puts that. Like, man, I am like one step away. If I don't keep running, Saul's going to get me. Your dad, Jonathan, is going to get me. And take a look at what Jonathan says in verse 4. He says this to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. That is the sign of true friendship right there, isn't it? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. It leads me to point two. Genuine commitment means that we are willing to sacrifice to benefit the other person. We are willing to sacrifice to benefit the other person. Now, last week we talked about sacrifice with Ruth and Naomi, but there's a difference there. That is, is that was family. This is friendship. There's another difference. Ruth and Naomi were mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Jonathan, please don't miss this. I want to remind you of this again. Jonathan is the son of the king and the prince of Israel. The one who is going to be the second king of Israel says to David, whatever I need to do, I will do. That's no small thing that the prince of Israel is saying that to David. Jonathan had so much to lose. He had a tremendous amount to lose. He had the whole kingdom of Israel to lose. To lose, But he says to David, whatever I need to do, I'll do. You know, Jonathan could have done a lot of things. He could have sacrificed in another way. Think about it. He had the whole kingdom of Israel that he could have sacrificed for David. He could have said, you know, I've got this servant here. Why don't you take this servant with you and get out of town for a while, and this servant will help you out, and I'll do whatever he can do to help you out. Jonathan also could have said, you know, I've got this guard here, this, this warrior, this uh, gr great uh, uh, army captain. You know, he can go with you and he can protect you and he can take care of you. I mean, Jonathan probably could have said, you know, I've got this mountain home up in the hills of Galatia. Just go up there for about 10 years. Let my dad die and come back and I'll take care of you then. Just, you know, let's just let some time go by. But he doesn't do that, does he? He says, whatever I can do, I will do to protect you. It is the truest picture. I want you to capture this. It's the truest picture of self-sacrifice. It's 
not just sacrifice. It's self-sacrifice. So how about us? How about you? Is there a way that you can sacrifice yourself in a way to give up something for a friend? Is there something maybe that a friend is going through right now that you don't need just, they don't need just a little trite advice from you? They don't need you to send them a book to help them out. They don't need a reference for a counselor. They need you. Maybe there's something that you need to do to sacrifice for someone else. John the Baptist did it for Jesus. He was the one who came and prepared the way for Jesus. And at some point in his life, when he realized that it was time for Jesus to be the one that people focused on, he says, I must decrease so that he can increase. It's that kind of self-sacrifice that leads us to have deep commitments in our lives. So David and Jonathan, they come up with this elaborate plan. It's actually pretty funny if you read it in chapters 19 and 20 there. They come up with this elaborate plan to essentially trick Saul into finding out if Saul is really angry. Remember when we left, Jonathan is not certain that Saul's actually angry at David. So they come up with this elaborate plan that we won't go into today because it doesn't really apply. But he was going to give David a signal. He said, go out into the field and hide and I'll give you a signal. And if my dad is angry with you, I'll give you one signal and you can run for the hills. But if he's really not angry with you, David, I'll give you another signal and you can come back into the courts and you can be a part of what's going on here. Well, Jonathan confronts his father about it, Saul, King Saul. What does Saul do? He gets angry again. But this time he's not angry at David. He's angry at his own son, Jonathan. So once again, Saul picks up a spear. He throws it again, this time at his own son. And guess what? He missed again. He needs some lessons in spear throwing, evidently. So King Saul is enraged. He's absolutely enraged that now Jonathan, his own son, has conspired with a man who he's so jealous of, this little shepherd boy, David. And so Jonathan does what he said he would do, and he gave the sign to David. Take a look at what happens here in 1 Samuel 20, 14 through 17. This is Jonathan speaking in verse 14. He says, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. Now all of a sudden, Jonathan's worried for his life. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. You know who David's enemies were? Jonathan's dad. It's his own dad. And he's saying that uh, he's asking God to call David's enemies into account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed his oath, had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. It's the third point this morning. Genuine commitment is best demonstrated when both people benefit from the commitment. It's best demonstrated when both people uh, benefit from the commitment. You see, this kind of friendship, those kind of friendships like I have with my friend Brian and you may have with one or two people in your life or you may be seeking from one or two people in your life, that kind of friendship I want you to hear this, is a two-way street. And Jonathan was bold enough and he was confident enough in the relationship that he had with David to ask something of David. He had already given David something. He said, whatever I need to do to protect you, I will. But now he's bold enough to ask something from David. And what does he ask for? He asks for kindness for his family. We'll come back to that in a moment. 
He asked for kindness for, for his family. If you are in a relationship where you're not comfortable asking from that person something from them out of the relationship, you're probably not in this David-Jonathan kind of relationship. It's probably not that lifelong type friendship. It may just be an acquaintance. It may just be a friend, and that's fine. There are friendships that we all are going to have where it's a give friendship. You're always giving. You're never really taking. But this kind of friendship is forged when it's a two-way street, when both are giving and taking, when there's an agreement there and it's mutually beneficial. And that's what we see with David and Jonathan. It's really interesting. Time goes by. David advances in the kingdom of Israel. Jonathan goes to war with his father. And at the end of 1 Samuel, we see Jonathan and Saul and two of his other brothers going to war against the Philistines. See, Saul had this bitterness towards David, but he also had this anger against the Philistines. He always wanted to defeat the Philistines. Well, guess what? The Philistines defeated him. The end of 1 Samuel describes the scene when his sons, Saul's sons, Jonathan and his two sons, die in battle there against the Philistines. And Saul is actually struck. He's hurt in the midst of the battle, and he ends up having to kill himself because he's dying there on the battlefield. And so all of a sudden, the nation of Israel that had clamored for a king for so long, all of a sudden, their first king and all of his sons are now dead. And David, this little shepherd boy, has advanced in the kingdom, and he's anointed as king, and time goes by, and he becomes king. And we read in 2 Samuel, the first part of 2 Samuel, that he went on to some great military victories. In fact, it was David who killed the, the Philistine army. It was he who led the nation of Israel to victory over the Philistines. And David becomes the second king of Israel. And the Bible says he had many victories. And then we come to this wonderful little passage in 2 Samuel 9. I want to draw your attention to it. We're going to take a look at these 12 verses as we close this morning. David, as he's the victorious king, the very successful king sitting on his throne, he asks this, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Oh man, here's the rest of the story. It's great. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. Don't you love that name? That's a good name for a dog. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul who I can show kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. David asked. Ziba answered, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, And when uh, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, I want you to capture this, he bowed down to pay him honor. Here's the son of Jonathan, David's best friend. And when he appears before the king, he bows down to him. And, he, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, your servant. Look at verse 7. Don't be afraid, David says to him, for I will surely show you kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. You see, Jonathan was in line to inherit all that land and all the riches of the kingdom. 
and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth says, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, verse 11, your servant will do whatever the Lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You see, David doesn't just go to the extent of showing kindness. He treats this crippled son of Jonathan Mephibosheth like he's one of his own sons. And it brings us to our last point this morning, and that is this. Genuine commitment can be passed on to the next generation. You see, we have this idea in mind that when these deep friendships, when these lifelong friends are formed, that maybe that friendship could span years or decades, and we feel lucky when it does. We feel fortunate when it does. But you know what the truth is? Is when we form this kind of friendship, when we form that lifelong kind of friendship with someone else or maybe one or two other people, it can span generations. And David sought out an opportunity to make good on the commitment that he made with Jonathan so long ago. He didn't have to. You realize that? Anyone who would have known about that agreement, who would have known about that covenant between David and Jonathan is now dead. All of his brothers are dead. His father's dead. Jonathan's brothers and fathers are dead. But David still seeks out an opportunity to make good on that commitment that he made so long ago. And he seeks it out and he serves Mephibosheth, Jonathan's crippled son. And the Bible says that he stayed in the court of David for all of his life. What about you? Do you have a Jonathan in your life? You have someone that maybe from the past or maybe even in the present that you could forge that friendship with, that deep, long-lasting kind of friendship. Now, listen, I know there are all kinds of personalities in here, and some of you who are like high sanguines, you're like, Todd, <laughs> no problem. I got 40 friends like that. I'm good. I'm good, okay? What I'm talking about is one or two long-lasting, long-committed relationships. How are you doing on that? There are some of you in here, you're introverts, and you're like, I don't need that. I've got God. I've got my Bible. I'm good. Well, what happens when you go through a life crisis? What happens when you go through maybe the victories of life, and you want somebody to share that with? Do you have a Jonathan in your life? And then there are some of you that are kind of in between those two kind of ends of things. And you've got some friends, but maybe you need to be the one to initiate something in that friendship. Maybe you need to be the one to go to that person and begin to, to, to let that uh, friendship develop and let it be forged. Maybe you can be the one to sacrifice something of yourself for that other person. Here's the deal. In all of our lives, there are going to be those days that we have when we need someone else. That's why God created us for each other. And there are going to be those times when you're going to go through a crisis or you're going to go through a victory. And living the abundant Christian life means that we can share that with other people in our lives. Who do you have who's a Jonathan in your life? 
Seek out today someone to forge that friendship with or perhaps begin to really develop that type of relationship with somebody in your life. David and Jonathan did it, and it didn't span decades. It didn't span years. It spanned generations. We have the opportunity as Christ followers to forgive. We have the opportunity to respect. We have the opportunity to be patient. But we also have the opportunity to show true commitment with a few people in our lives, just like David and Jonathan did. Let's do our best to do that in our lives. Father God, thank you so much for what you're doing in the life of this church. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in the life of the believers here on the island. You're doing amazing things here on Hilton Head Island, and I'm so thankful for that. I pray that you would continue to grow us up, God, that you would continue to mature us. God, I pray that you would continue to Help us to seek out that abundant life that you talk about so much in the New Testament. And God, I pray that we are people who are faithful in our friendships. God, I pray that we are people who are faithful in the relationships that we have with other people. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who are quick to forgive. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who have the utmost respect for others. God, I pray that we're people who have tremendous amount of patience with other people. And God, I pray that you would help us to be committed to those few faithful friends that we have in our lives. God, I pray for those who are in here today, and this message may leave them kind of wondering because they don't have that type of friendship. God, I pray that you would give them the discernment and the wisdom to know what it means to initiate that kind of friendship. God, I pray for those friendships that are already existing, that you would galvanize those and that you would help grow those friendships, God. And I pray that when life's tough circumstances come, God, that we have an opportunity to share that, good, bad, or ugly, with other people in our lives. Help us to be committed in our relationships with others, God, because that is a true indication of how committed we are to you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.